Well, good evening. It's good to be with you, even if it is virtually or online. This morning, I had planned to deliver the lesson that I'm going to deliver this evening, but because of the whole pandemic and uh, rearranging of schedule, uh, the Senior Sunday was celebrated this morning, and so tonight I'm going to deliver the lesson that I would have delivered in the morning. I uh, appreciate the, the time off, and uh, I missed you all terribly, but it's good to be back, and I look forward to seeing you again in person next Sunday. Let's look at Jesus as a healer, and we start in Luke chapter 4, and beginning in verse 38, it reads, Then he got up and left the synagogue and entered Simon's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she immediately got up and waited on them. While the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak, because they knew him to be the Christ. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. And he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. So he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So here's my question. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Certainly there were more that were in need. People who were not able to get to him in time. Without a doubt, there would have been people in the surrounding area, the surrounding villages who would have loved to have had an encounter with Jesus so that they could be cured of what was ailing them. There were certainly more people who were desperate for what Jesus had to offer. So why not just stay in Capernaum and make sure that no one has to ever deal with sickness again? Does Jesus not care about other sick people? If you're going to have compassion and heal some, why not heal all people? I'm sure the people in Capernaum were thinking that very thing. In the morning, Jesus left and the people searched all over for him. When they found him, they begged him to stay, but he left anyway. Why? Did he not care? One of the more difficult situations that I find myself in as a minister is comforting, consoling someone who has just been diagnosed with a debilitating disease. Similarly, having to counsel with someone who is at the end of their life after dealing with a debilitating disease. And as they wrestle with the news of their terminal illness and the nature of the disease, they will often draw closer to God and implore Him and His people to send up prayers on their behalf for healing. Many turn to passages like James chapter 5, verses 13 and following, which reads, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It is quite common for one who is staring death in the face or dealing with a terminal illness to put all their eggs in the basket of healing believing that God will absolutely come through and rid their body of whatever it is that riddles it. Should they be praying for healing? Absolutely. Can God heal them? Without question. Should they be asking for a miracle? I, I would be. 
But here's why these situations are difficult as a minister. Because God doesn't always come through. By that I mean that healing doesn't always happen. That prayer for healing doesn't always get answered in the way that we would like. And death seemingly wins. But what if the miracle does happen? What if one who is diagnosed with stage 4 cancer, one who is on the verge of certain death, pulls through and is completely healed? Then what? Well, elation, right? That would be beyond glorious. However, they don't avoid the casket and the hearse forever. You ever considered that Lazarus had two funerals? He would die again. Even Simon's mother-in-law, while cured of a fever... Her body still found the grave. Among those that Jesus healed, some of them endured sickness again. Some may have even dealt with a debilitating illness that lasted for several months or years. They may have been in agony for a a prolonged period of time. Everyone Jesus cured got sick again. Everyone who was raised from the dead died again. And everyone who has ever been or will be the beneficiary of some miraculous healing will have another date with death. So, So what does all this mean? Does it mean that our prayers for healing are inconsequential? No, I don't believe that. Does it mean that we shouldn't expect miracles? No, I mean, does it mean that we should instead pray that the person just go ahead and die? Well, maybe, but not necessarily. Here's what I think it means. I think it means that as great as the miracles of Jesus were, as great as any healing that God may grant to us living in this day and age, both are a compliment to a greater goal. Let's go back to our original question. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? And before we answer that question, let's look at, let's look at uh, Mark's account of this healing. And it's found in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 29. It reads, And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever. And immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. So why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Well, he sure tried. He provided the opportunity for everyone to be healed, which is why he left Capernaum the next morning. Notice verse 38. He said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is why I came. Notice verse 43 of Luke chapter 4 when it says, But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, here's where we often get sidetracked. Many get sidetracked. They got sidetracked in Jesus' day, and we still do today. We focus more on the miracle than we do the miracle worker. And that is precisely the reason why so many in our world buy into the false notion that some 
lay person can lay hands on an individual and fully restore their health. And while greed is a major motivator in the ministries of, of some more famous faith healers that we see, there are more than a few sincere individuals who place stock in these so-called miracle workers. And the question becomes, why? Well, because they want so badly to be healed of their malady, of course. And who could blame them? There are folks that have dealt with uh, pain, or debilitating disease for, for many, many years, and, and they would give up just about anything for even the slightest chance that they may be healed. And sadly, some self-proclaimed faith healers have taken advantage of these people by claiming to have an ability that they just don't possess. I mean, I grew up an hour and a half from Memphis, Tennessee, home of St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Why wouldn't anyone who has the ability to do so wipe away childhood cancer or pediatric cancer why not start there? Why not start at St. Jude's Children's Hospital? Why not eliminate the need for ever having to have a hospital that deals with pediatric cancer? A common refrain that you hear from so-called faith healers is that the faith of the individual in need of healing has to be strong enough in order for the miracle to occur. But do you know what the blind man in John chapter 9, the demon-possessed man in the Gadarenes, and Lazarus in John chapter 11, you know what they all have in common? Not one of them had faith in the power of Jesus to heal them. I mean, take Lazarus, for example. How can a dead man have any faith? I know that for most of us, we equate faith healers with frauds and con artists, but what should also grab our attention, probably more than anything else, is the fact that the miracles were never meant to be the show. Miracles were a means to an end. In the fall of 2007, the University of Central Florida opened their new football stadium known as the Bounce House. And this $55 million facility had seating for over 45,000 fans. And on opening day, every seat was filled. However, something wasn't right. It was the first game ever played at the stadium, and people were fainting. They were falling out right and left. Eighteen people were hospitalized for heat exhaustion during the game, and emergency workers passed out water, but the hot temperatures were too much for some. Now, hot days were not unusual for Central Florida, but what's interesting about this story is that the $55 million facility was built without a single water fountain. Florida building codes mandated that stadiums and other public arenas have one water fountain for every 1,000 seats or half that number of fountains if, if water is being sold by vendors. But the vendors ran out of bottled water by halftime and the situation quickly became an emergency. I bring that story up to say that we, we often miss the obvious, don't we? We overlook the obvious. It happens all the time, even when it's staring us in the face. We overlook the main thing, and we zero in on peripheral things, such as the case when it comes to Bible study. We constantly miss the obvious, and we elevate the sub-themes to a level of critical importance, and such is the case with the miracles. We can't get so lost in the supernatural that we lose sight of how it fits into the overall narrative. The miracles of Jesus are not the finished puzzle. They are merely a piece that helps us to understand or gain the overall picture. The signs that Jesus performed serve a larger purpose of God's redemptive plan. Remember, that is the theme of Scripture. The theme of redemption it is a thread that runs throughout the Bible. And miracles fit as a contributor to that overall theme. For starters, they authenticate Jesus' role in God's divine plan. 
Miracles have always authenticated God's message and his messengers. Anytime God sent a new word, he sent signs to accompany that word. It was this way with Moses. God was sending a new message. And Moses asked this. He says, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For they may say, the Lord has not appeared to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And then he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And God doesn't stop there. He equips Moses with yet another miracle. He tells him to place his hand inside his cloak or inside his bosom, and he pulls it out, and it's leprous. He tells him to stick his hand back in his cloak, and he pulls it back out, and it's healed, fully restored. God sent a message with a miracle, but the miracle wasn't the message. The miracle was confirmation of the message. It established Moses' credentials, and it authenticated the word from God. And you slide over to the New Testament, and you have the exact same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God is sending a new Word. He sent a deliverer, much like Moses. He sent him with power, just like Moses. He sent him to rescue slaves who were under bondage, like Moses. And after he ascended into heaven, the apostles were sent out with this new Word. And guess what they were equipped with as well? Yeah, signs or miracles. To authenticate the message and to establish their credentials. Even a Pharisee understood this. Look at, look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus knew what was up. He knew that the message and the messenger were accredited. The Jewish leaders as a whole didn't challenge Jesus' miracles. They challenged the power of which they were done. Their stubborn hard-heartedness blinded them to the fact that Israel's God came in the flesh, performing signs right in front of them, fulfilling the promises of the messengers of the Old Testament. Look at Luke chapter 7 and beginning in verse 20. We see that John the Baptist sends out two of his disciples to ask Jesus, if he really is the expected one. Notice how it reads. It says, when the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits, and he gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. Why did Jesus heal? Well, because he had compassion, right? Yes, of course, but what else? Why else? As evidence, the miraculous healings did not occur in a vacuum. They had a definite purpose, and it wasn't just to show that Jesus cares for people. That was part of it, but it was also to show that he was indeed the expected one, the anointed one that was spoken of in the Old Testament. But there's still another reason for the healing ministry of Jesus, and it is found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, where it reads, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus' miracles were intimately connected to his message that the kingdom of God had arrived in his own person. So, 
the miraculous healings of Jesus were meant to establish his credentials as well as verify that the kingdom was at hand. Look at Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14, and it reads like this. And he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed. But some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. But he knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a house divided against itself falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. One of the undeniable proofs that the kingdom had come stemmed from the fact that people suffering from various diseases were healed. The only one capable of driving out demons and, and making the lame walk and causing the blind to see and raising people from the dead, the only one capable of doing that was the anointed one, the one who came to bring the kingdom of God. Of course, there were those who refused to recognize that Jesus was the anointed one and thus that the kingdom was at hand. So they resorted to claiming that Jesus was driving out demons in the name of the devil, which is absurd. And Jesus points this out to them. Any kingdom that endures a civil war is going to fall apart. So why would the devil lend his power to Jesus in order to defeat his own emissaries? Notice Matthew 12, 28. Jesus states, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You see, the miracles left no doubt that the God of Israel was once again acting in the midst of the people. These miracles fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Like we stated a couple of weeks ago, if one is going to comprehend the kingdom of heaven, they have to combine the old with the new. Both of them go hand in hand. You have the promises of the prophets that are combined with the new treasures, which was Jesus and the things that he was revealing to them. In other words, Jesus came to do precisely what the prophets of old said that God would do. So at one level, you have the hope of Israel, which is expressed in passages like Isaiah 52, 7 through 12. You have the Messianic prophet speaking of God becoming king at last, which means the end of exile, the defeat of evil, and the return of Israel's God to Zion. And all of that becomes a major theme of Jesus' life and public ministry, as well as the interpretation of his death. God still has a plan, and his plan is to redeem and restore and all the miracles of healing that we read about in the Gospels are just snapshots of redemption and restoration. Jesus heals the physical brokenness of individuals for a bigger purpose. And what's that bigger purpose? Well, to bring people closer to Him. You see, God and Jesus aren't just interested in helping people get well physically. The more pressing problem is that of sin and spiritual healing. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Well, he did. Or at least he made it possible. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that he might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Why didn't Jesus heal everyone? Well, he tried. He has made it possible. He has given everyone the opportunity to be healed. You go back to the passage that we started with. Why were people crowding around Simon's house? Well, because Jesus was inside, right? 
Sick people were wanting access to Jesus. They desperately wanted to come inside Simon's house so that they could be made well. And I, don't, I, I often have people ask me, what are y'all doing out there at Oldham Lane? I drive by on Sunday and the parking lot is full. And of course, you know, what I want to say is that the parking lot's full because people want to see Jesus. They want to meet Jesus. Jesus is inside. And people want to be with Jesus, especially sick people, right? You know, a coach's major responsibility when he takes over a program is to build a culture. A culture of winning, yes, but it goes beyond that. My philosophy as a coach when it came to building a culture was that we were, we were going to have high character individuals who played the game the right way. We were going to respect each other and our opponents, and we were going to work hard. Our culture was going to be predicated on effort, diving after loose balls, going after every rebound, contesting every shot. We were not going to be out-hustled. That was our culture. You know, the elders... And the staff and I are, are trying to build a culture here at Oldham Lane. And that culture is simple. It's this. To be Jesus. Let the world around us know that Jesus is here, alive in this place. This is a culture of kingdom people who are seeking to expand the kingdom by being Jesus. We're going to work hard. We're going to give maximum effort. We're going to dive after every loose soul. We're going to go after every person on the rebound from sin. And we're going to contest every shot from the devil. We will not be out-hustled because that's what kingdom people do. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. And we thank you so much for loving us. God, help us to be more like Jesus. Help us to be Jesus people doing Jesus things until Jesus returns. May we seek to offer the healing power that, that comes through you to everyone around us. May we spread the gospel message and let others know that there, there is a bigger picture that we all need spiritual healing, that broken people can come and be healed. May we be a light in this world around us. May we be more like Jesus. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.